Okay, number 112 in the hymnal, everybody, if you'd like to use it. It's number 112, it is up on the board for you. Up Calvary's mountain, one dreadful morn, walk Christ my Savior, weary and worn, facing for sinners, death on the cross, that he might save them from endless loss. Blessed Redeemer, precious Redeemer, seems now I see him on Calvary's tree. Wounded and bleeding, poor sinners pleading, blind and unheeding, dying for me. Father, forgive them, thus did he pray. Even while lifeblood flowed fast away, praying for sinners while in such woe, no one but Jesus ever loved so. Blessed Redeemer, precious Redeemer, seems now I see Him on Calvary's tree. Wounded and bleeding, poor sinners pleading, blind and unheeding, dying for me. Oh, how I love Him, Savior and friend. How can my praises ever find end? Through years of numbered on heaven's shore, my tongue shall praise Him forevermore. Blessed Redeemer, precious Redeemer, seems now I see Him on Calvary's tree, wounded and bleeding. Poor sinners pleading, blind and unheeding, dying for me. All right, well, you think you guys can stand up? I think you might have to do some more standing in a little bit, but if you're able to stand, stand up with me. This is one of those stand-up praise songs. I don't know any that are not stand-up praise songs, though. (laughs) All right. This is Thank God I'm Free. I think most of you know it. Let's see if we can do it here. For a long time I've traveled Down a long lonely road My heart was so heavy Sin I sank low And I heard about Jesus What a wonderful hour I'm so glad that I found out He would bring me out With His saving power Thank God I am free, free, free From this world of sin I'm washed in the blood of Jesus. I've been born again. Hallelujah, I'm saved, saved, saved by His wonderful grace. I'm so glad that I found out 
He would bring me out and show me the way Like a bird out of prison I've taken my flight Like a blind man that God gave back his sight Like a poor wretched beggar found fortune and fame I'm so glad that I found out he would bring me out his holy name thank God I am free 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 from this world of sin I'm washed in the blood of Jesus I've been born again Save, save, save by his wonderful grace. I'm so glad that I found out he would bring me out, show me the way. Thank God I am free, free, free. Let's do it without a world of sin. Let's do it without the instruments. I'm washed in the blood of Jesus. I've been born again. Hallelujah, I'm saved, saved, saved by His wonderful grace. I'm so glad that I found out He would bring me out and show me the way. I'm so glad that I found out He would bring me out and show me the way. Amen. <laughs> all right. Well, I tell you what, if you all can remain standing, I'll let Brother Bill and Miss Lynn decide what they're going to do. Joshua is a talented fella he teaches himself how to play these instruments and I remember when he did a special a year or two ago on the piano I was impressed Joshua I enjoyed that song good good job all right we're going to invite you to sing a hymn with us called Beulah Land I think it's going to be up on the board I want to Let's see a smile together, on your right? face okay y'all some of y'all look like you just married your last loved one Far away the noise of strife upon my ear is falling Then I know the sins of earth is set on every hand Doubt and fear and things of earth in vain to me are calling None of these shall move me from Beulah land I'm living on the mountain underneath the cloudless sky I'm drinking Fountain that never shall run dry. Oh, yes, I'm feasting on a manna from a bountiful supply. For I am dwelling in Beulah Land. Far below the storm, without upon the world is beating. Sons of men in battle long the enemy withstand. God's word retreating 
mountain that never shall run dry. Oh yes, I'm feasting on a manna from a bountiful supply. For I am dwelling in Beulah. All right, Sue, that's Sue White. My faith 
is gonna end inside There's just a few more days here to labor And then I'll take my heavenly flight Sing it with us song i've heard that song okay good all right if you'll stand one more time and open your bibles what we like to do here is ask the lord's blessings on what we're about to study in His Holy Word. We believe the Bible is the Word of God. Therefore, we don't take looking at it, reading it, studying it, explaining it in a light manner. So we need the Lord's help. You need the Lord's help in hearing. I need the Lord's help in trying to, to teach. So let's sing this song. Father, a verse from Genesis chapter 39. Joseph's master, verse 20, Genesis 39, verse 20. Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word, and let God's people say, Praise the Lord, and you may be seated. Joseph, today we're going to talk about the suffering of Joseph. I called it part two. I kind of introduced it last week. And we're going to look at that today, maybe next week. I'd like to get through with it today, but we'll just see how we get along here. 
Joseph is a type of our Savior. He was hated of his brothers, and so was Jesus. He was the favorite of his father, and so was Jesus. He was treated like scum by his brothers, and so was Jesus. He was used and maligned and lied about, and so was Jesus. But he was the means of the salvation of his family and of his people, and so was Jesus. He was God's witness, and so was Jesus. <coughs> and he was divinely led by the divine and sovereign purpose and providence of God, and so was Jesus. So he is a type of our Lord Jesus, but in so many ways, Joseph is a type of every believer. He was destined for greatness, but he had to go through trouble to get there, and so do we. We have been promised heaven, but we have to go through this world and through lots of trials and troubles before we get there. Joseph trusted the Lord, come what may, and so must we. He had to go through a lot of trial, a lot of trouble, a lot of suffering, and so must we. We come into this world through suffering. <coughs> Every child is born from a mother, and the mother has to suffer a painful process to bring us into the world. Unto the woman, God said in the book of Genesis, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and in sorrow shalt thou bring forth children. Our mothers suffered so we could be born, and our Savior suffered so we could be born again. We are saved through the suffering of Jesus, our Messiah. Now, in our last study, we learned two major lessons, and I'm going to repeat them for you this morning. Number one, the Lord utilizes suffering to accomplish good things in this world, and all of them contribute to his eternal plan and purpose. Number two, the redeemed children of God, that just because we are redeemed, we are not exempt from the sufferings that plague all human beings in general, unless the Lord makes a special exception to serve his purpose. So all of life is in some way related to some sort of suffering. All of us are subject to disease, we're all subject to sickness, <clears throat> and we're all subject to death. I think Hank Williams had it right. He said, you're not going to get out of this world alive. Now the question to be asked in this study is why? Why does the Lord allow his children to suffer? Joseph suffered, but it wasn't because he caused it. Our Savior suffered. It wasn't because he did anything to cause it. But someone may ask, we all have asked this question, why does this happen to me? Why did this happen to me? Why is, am I going through this? Well, if you ask me that question, Bill, why is this happening to me? I answer that with three points. Number one, I can't know why something happened to you because I don't have all the facts. Did you do something or not do something? Did someone else do something or not do something? Can't answer the question. Don't have all the facts. Number two, in the second place, you can't answer the question. 
because the Bible says our hearts are deceitful. And the deception begins with us. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. And even if we're believers, we tend to justify ourselves. It's almost impossible to be objective about ourselves, to get outside of ourselves and look at ourselves, to see ourselves as we really are. And in the third place, and I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 13, If you're here and you don't have a Bible, maybe you'll find one in the pew in front of you. We need to order some extra Bibles here, brothers, and uh, make sure we've got plenty of Bibles throughout these pews. The Gospel of Luke in the New Testament, uh, chapter 13. Luke's Gospel, chapter 13. And this is the third answer I'd give you. The first answer I gave you was, I can't tell you why things happen to you because I don't have all the facts. The second answer I gave you is I don't think you can really know why it all happened to you because you have a deceitful heart and so do I. And in the third place, (coughs) the cause cannot always be determined. The cause of our trouble and our trial cannot always be determined. Now in Luke chapter 13, we're going to read about a little incident. The disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ heard about a situation involving some Galileans who were killed by Pilate while they were offering sacrifices. If you look at verse, uh, what is it, verse 2, Luke chapter 13, verse 2, Jesus, there was, uh, read verse 1, there were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Translation, they were killed while they were worshiping by Pilate. And Jesus said unto them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. But except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Repent means to change, to change your mind. Your heart is changed, your mind is changed, your life is changed. You go the other way. Are those 18, verse 14, those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and it murdered them, it killed them all, do you think they were sinners? The, the reason they suffered such a tragic, a tragic death, <coughs> excuse me for coughing, but I don't have any water up here, but we'll get some another time. I won't worry about it today. You, do you suppose that these people upon whom this tower fell that the reason that happened to them is because they were great sinners. Well, Jesus said, no, that's not why. Now, I want to point out to you that Jesus did not say there was not a cause. He just said that it wasn't because they were great sinners. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, the curse causeless shall not come. And what does that mean? It means the curse doesn't come without a cause. It means everything has a cause and an effect. So Jesus didn't say there wasn't a cause. He just said the cause was not because they were great sinners. Suppose they were good people. Suppose they were godly people. And that happened to them. The idea is this. We can only weigh things by the Word of God. When we ask, why does this happen Why have Christians suffered? We can only answer that question from the Word of God. And I want to remind you 
that when you're praying to the Lord, you're talking to him, and when you're reading his word, he is talking to you. Now, here's the bottom line. The bottom line is, let's not assume that when others suffer, when others have trial, when others have trouble, let's not assume that it's because of sin or disobedience. Do you remember that's what Job's three friends said when they came to visit Job? They were so stunned, the Bible says they just sat there speechless for seven days. And then they began to say, basically, I'll give you the bottom line to it, they began to say, Job, what in the world did you do for all of this to happen to you? You've lost everything. You've lost your children. You've lost your money. You've lost your livestock. You've lost everything. What did you do? Go ahead. Fess it up now. Tell us what you did. And what was the result of all of that in the book of Job? Well, the result was the Lord justified Job and he condemned the judgment of his friends. In fact, he said, unless Job prays for you, I'm going to take you out. That's exactly what he said. Did you know that it is written in the scripture that many people who saw our Lord Jesus Christ and all the sufferings that he went through, including his crucifixion, that they came to the conclusion this must have been a really bad and sinful man to suffer things like this. And what about Joseph? We've been looking at Joseph now for 26, 27 studies. What about the sufferings of Joseph? What did he do? Well, his sufferings are not caused because he had sinned, just like the sufferings of our Lord were not caused for his own sins, but for the sins of others. And Joseph is suffering because of his brothers who envied him, who sold him into slavery. So come back to the question, why do we suffer? Why do we have trouble? Why did this happen to me, we often say. So what we're going to do is consult the Word of God, and I do hope you have the Bible today, because normally... I don't ask you to turn to a lot of passages, but I'm going to today, and we'll see how far along we get. But before we look at the next passage of Scripture, I want to prepare you by reminding you that according to the Word of God, we really, I think you'll be able to understand what I'm saying, we really cannot comfort others when they suffer. We can empathize with them. We can sympathize with them. We can say, I'll be praying for you. If you need me, let me know. But only God can comfort them. Now, if you want to write this passage down, or you can turn to it at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It's right here in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I can just quote it to you, but I'm going to give you time to check over to that passage, 2 Corinthians, as 1 Corinthians, as 2 Corinthians, chapter 1. And this is what Paul says here. Let me see if I have the right passage. I'm checking it out here. I've got the scripture, but I don't have, I don't think I have the right passage, but here's what we'll do. Let's go down to verse uh, 3. I do have the right passage. Verse 3. Blessed be the God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now watch this now. Who comforts us in all of our tribulation 
that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Paul says this. First of all, he says, only the Lord can comfort. And this means that what little comfort we can give people will only be effective if it is his comfort, if it is the same comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by him. He says he helps us in all of our troubles so that we are able to help others who have all kinds of troubles using the same help that we ourselves have received from God because of our troubles. And so we are allowed to suffer trial and trouble. At least this is one little reason that we may be able to help others who have all kinds of trouble. This doesn't mean that you have to suffer what others have suffered But if we've never had any trouble, any disappointment, any trial of any sort, we can't possibly sympathize or empathize with others, much less try to comfort them. Now, the analogy given us in the Bible uh, to illustrate this is the analogy of the human body. The Bible portrays the spiritual body of Christ as a human body. This is the analogy. The church is compared to the human body. Now, tell me this. If you should drop a hammer on your toe, would the rest of your body react and suffer from that? Or would you say, oh, well, that's way down there. It doesn't bother me. Go ahead and hit it again. I don't think so. If you've ever seen somebody hit their hand with a, with a hammer, hit their nail with a hammer... Uh, they, they hurt all over. Their thumb or their finger may swell up. What he says in the Bible is when a part of the human body suffers, the whole body suffers with it. You hit your finger, you hurt all over. You stump your toe, and the entire body is affected. So if we have others who are our friends, who are our family, our husband, our wife, our children, our comrades, our our compatriots, uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and they're having trials and trouble, Paul says we should be in there with them. When one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers with it. But just remember, bottom line, only the Lord can comfort What little comfort we can give will only be effective if it is his comfort administered in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to just name some little uh, points, give you some points about why we may suffer. None of these apply to everybody, or not all of these apply to everyone, but each of them may apply to everyone. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I hope we can get to the point where I can settle down and actually exegete a chapter here uh, later this morning, if, if the Lord helps me to get through with this. We'll just see. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's a reason why... Sometimes we have trouble. It is to demonstrate the power of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 7. 
Paul said, I was given a thorn in the flesh. Verse 7, the messenger of Satan was sent to, if you have a King James Version, it says to buffet me, that is to bruise me, to beat me up. A messenger of Satan was sent to Paul to give him what he calls a thorn in the flesh. And he says, I asked the Lord, verse 8, three times to take this from me. And the Lord said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And therefore, Paul says, here's my attitude then. Most gladly will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, here's the idea. Paul had been given so much revelation. He'd been shown so many things that he says there was a danger of his being lifted up in pride. You know, Lucifer became the devil because of pride. He was lifted up in pride. He wanted to be like God. He was not happy being what God made him. He was not happy doing what he wanted to do. He wanted to be like God. And he started a rebellion, the scripture says, in heaven against the Lord. Paul says, I've been shown so much, I've been given so much, that the Lord sent a messenger of Satan to give me a thorn in the flesh, verse 7, lest I should be exalted above measure. So it may be that sometimes the Lord gives us trouble because of our pride. Sometimes, you know, we are so deceived about ourselves often that we can be proud of our humility. I'm humble and I'm proud of it. Uh, That's how bad off we are, apart from God's grace. Always remember, you can never really make a true judgment about yourself. Let the Word of God judge you. Find out what Scripture says about you. So that's what Paul says. And this second point is very much related to that. We might suffer to demonstrate the power of God. We might suffer to produce humility and humbleness. That's what he says here in verse 7. We might suffer in order to help others who suffer. That's back in chapter 1. We just looked at some of that a moment ago. Back in chapter 1, we might suffer in order that we might help others who who suffer. Chapter 1, verses 3 and And four, chapter one, verses three and four. Uh, Grace be to you, and I don't know if I have these Corinthians uh, epistles mixed up or not, but that is certainly not the right passage. Let me tell you what I have in mind here is the same idea. Let me look at second Corinthians Chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, that's what we just read, and that's what I had in mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. In order to be able to help others who suffer, to be able to comfort others with the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted. Let's see if I have this in right. We might suffer because of others. We might suffer because of others. Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14 And verse 7, 
Romans 14 and verse 7, he says, None of us lives to himself and no man dies to himself. When you live in this world, you are impacted by others and you affect others and others affect you. Another passage, and I'll read this to you. I'm going to go hurriedly. I toyed with just quoting these to you, and that's probably what I should have done. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 26, which is what I just hinted at. When one member suffers, all the members suffer with it, or one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. You are the body of Christ, and you are members in particular. That is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 26. The idea is that if others are suffering, we suffer with them. We may suffer because of the conduct of others. Let me check this passage out before I have you turn to it. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul talks about husbands and wives. And he says, look, the wife can cause problems for the husband. The husband can cause problems for the wife. Don't let Satan tempt you in the, in the matter of sex or any other way. That's why he gave you to each other. Don't suffer because, don't allow suffering to come because the two of you are not walking with the Lord, because the two of you are not walking in fellowship with the Lord. That is 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He says in verse 3, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife does not have power over her own body, but the husband, and the husband not power over his own body, but the wife. Do not defraud one another, except it is for, with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together that Satan tempt you not, for your incontinency. So he's saying that other conduct, people's conduct, the, the conduct of others can cause problems for us. How about Hebrews chapter 12? Let's look over at Hebrews chapter 12. Here's another reason that suffering can come, and it can come because of discipline. Hebrews chapter 12. The writer of the book of Hebrews takes for granted that the children of God will suffer as a result of discipline. In other words, none of us walk perfectly with the Lord. We all get out of line from time to time in word or thought or deed. And for that, the Lord chastens us. This is what he says. He's writing to these people called the book of Hebrews who had confessed the Lord Jesus Christ, but now many of them are going back into Judaism. They're backing up. They're going back backwards, and they're leaving their profession of faith. And so he says, look, we're surrounded with a big cloud of witnesses. Verse 1, all of the saints of God who've gone before us, and they're like a cheering section, cheering us on to run with patience the race that is set before us. That's verse 1. Verse 2, Hebrews chapter 12, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He's the author and finisher of your faith. Not looking at yourself or where you've gone or how much you've accomplished, but keep your eyes on Christ, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, he despised the shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He says, 
Jesus endured all kinds of problems, verses 3 and following, that cost him his life. You haven't resisted yet unto blood, striving against uh, sin, verse 4. Then he says this in verse 5. You've forgotten the exhortation that speaks unto you as unto children. He's addressing them as children of God. My son or my daughter, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Don't faint when you are rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and he scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father does not chasten? But if you are without chastisement, all of us are partakers of that, then are you illegitimates and you are not sons. So what he's saying is this. He's saying that the troubles that you experience in your life, he looks at as the chastening hand of God. The trouble that you have, when you get sick or you get ill, more than likely you think more about your mortality. You think about your life. You're reminded of the fact that you're not going to be here forever. You're reminded of the fact that your life is limited, that you're getting older, that you're having this, that, and the other. All of these people that have passed away, many of my friends have passed away because of the coronavirus, and it looks like there's going to be more of that coming. I don't know if you heard about it this morning. We're going to have some other troubles probably in this world. Some of you won't be here when it all happens, but some of you young people will be. I don't know if you heard about the announcement that slipped out accidentally on purpose from the United Nations concerning what they're calling globalism. They're saying that they have a, what they call a shadow plan that should be fulfilled by uh, 2030, in eight more years. They called it the United Nations 21-30 plan. And among the items that they were discussing, according to this report, was creating a global currency, a central bank, ending all national sovereignty. In other words, there's no nation anymore uh, that can come up with any kind of uh, a theme like your nation first. We lend national sovereignty. We have mandatory vaccines. We have microchipping of all the citizens. We have an end of fossil fuels. We have the control of all income. And of course, we know that today news is instant. You can find out what's happening on the other side of the world as quickly as you can find out what happened across the street. If those things come to pass, and you know me, if those of you who have been here a while, I'm not a big eschatological guy. I'm not a big prophecy fellow. I just live my life one day at a time Leave it in the Lord's hands, whatever he's going to do. But the fact is that there are people who are thinking this way. So what I'm saying is, other than the regular troubles, what are we going to do if all of a sudden you do like my grandfather did? My granddad went down to the bank to collect his money uh, uh, in 1929, and there was a chain on the door of the bank with a lock on it, and he lost every dime he had. He couldn't get into the bank to get his money. He had invested heavily in what they call cotton futures. He was a farmer, raised cotton, corn, and peanuts. Went down to the bank, lock on the door, chain on the door, drastically changed his life, drastically changed his future. What are we going to do if something happens like that to us? 
What we're going to do is we're going to trust the Lord. We're going to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We're going to run with patience the race that is set before us by the grace of God. The Lord uses all of these things to get our attention, to cause us to be looking to him. Another reason people might suffer was for uh, the glory of God. You remember the story I told you about Lazarus in John chapter 11? Jesus said of Lazarus, this sickness is not unto death, but that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. He said, I'm glad for your sakes I wasn't there. All of you know the story of Lazarus? Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. He was the brother of Martha and Mary, and he got sick. And when they sent word to Jesus, your friend Lazarus is sick, the one you love is sick, the Bible says Jesus stayed where he was. And where he didn't rush over there to heal him. He stayed where he was, and he let him die. And then when he got there, he said, I'm glad, for your, I'm glad that for your sakes I was not there. To the intent that you might believe that I am the Messiah and that I have come. So Lazarus suffered and died. I don't know what kind of disease he had, but he suffered and died for the glory of God. How about the rich man that's in Luke chapter 16? You know the story about the rich man and Lazarus? The Bible says there that Lazarus suffered in his lifetime. He didn't have adequate food. He, was, uh, he had sores on his body. The dogs came and licked the sores that he had. He had nothing. He was, he was bone dry. He was poverty stricken. But when he passed away, because he was a believer, not because he was poor, he was called up into heaven. And he went to be with the Lord. The rich man who had everything opened his eyes in hell. What is the idea there behind that story? The, the idea is that Lazarus teaches us to trust the Lord no matter what our status in life is. What about Job? I believe the underlying theme of the book of Job, who suffered all of those things, is this. God's people will trust him regardless of threat of punishment or promise of reward. We love the Lord because he loves us. That's why we love him. Not to get things from him. And when I look at TV today, I don't mind telling you, I am horrified at what I see some of these guys preaching and teaching. I'm not doing a good job this morning, but I, at least I'm trying to open up God's Word to you instead of just telling you that you can have this and have that and have the other by walking with Jesus. Why do we suffer? We suffer for discipline. We suffer to glorify the Lord. We suffer to illustrate doctrine or divine truth. Uh, why did the Apostle Paul suffer all he suffered? Why was he in shipwreck? a day and a night? Why was he beaten several times and left for dead? Why was he stoned? Well, Paul is an illustration to us of how we need to keep on looking to the Lord, serving the Lord, and how the Lord can preserve you through all of these problems. What about Hosea? Have you ever read the book of Hosea? Years ago, I talked through that book verse by verse. Hosea, the Lord called him and said, I want you to go uh, and, and marry a woman that's a prostitute. And he married her, and they had some children, and she ran off, and she got herself in such trouble that Hosea had to go back later. She was on the slave market. He went to the slave market and bid for her and brought her back 
and brought her home and said, now you're going to stay here with me the rest of your days. What's the purpose behind that? The Lord said to Hosea, you are an illustration of my love for the children of Israel. Then I called them, and I blessed them, and I used them, and they ran off with other nations, and they ran off after other gods, and they ran off after other things in this world. The Lord uses suffering to illustrate divine truth. What about to learn obedience? Let me show you a passage here in Hebrews chapter 5. If you turn to that, book of Hebrews chapter 5. You realize that our Lord Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. According to John's Gospel, chapter 1 and other passages of Scripture, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, without Him was nothing made that was made, and the Word that was God became flesh. So our Lord Jesus Christ was God. At the same time, our Lord Jesus Christ was man. He was fully man. He fell asleep on the boat because he was tired. Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the seas and the wind died down and the storm went away. He's God and man in one person. He's the God man. Well, here's what we read in Hebrews chapter 5 about uh, trouble being used by the Lord to teach us obedience. Hebrews chapter 5. It says in verse 8 or in verse 7, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, unto him that was able to save him from death, he was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, that is, complete, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. The Lord Jesus Christ learned as a human being how to suffer and how to obey the Father in spite and through the sufferings. We read in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus being found in fashion as a man humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. This is a great mystery. But it does tell us that even our Lord Jesus Christ was subject to suffering, and he learned obedience as a human being through that suffering. Another reason we suffer is to develop strength and to prove faith. We can go all the way through the Scripture on that one. How do you know that Abraham believed God? You know, by looking at his life. How do you know that Noah believed God? Because he got a hammer and nails and got his boys together and said, we're going to build a boat. There's a flood coming. How do we know Daniel believed God? Because he was thrown in the lion's den and he'd rather suffer than he would deny his God. The same for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were thrown into the fiery furnace. What do we see by that? We see that God's people are going to remain faithful, that he'll give you grace to suffer whatever is put upon you. There has no temptation taken you but such as is common to man, and the Lord will, with the suffering, with the temptation, with the trial, he will either give you a way out or he will give you grace to bear it. It's a witness for Christ when you suffer and you remain faithful to him. Stephen, Acts chapter 6, 
and chapter 7. All the apostles except John died for their witness. Now, let's just begin just a moment, the 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I can see that I won't have the time to develop this today, but let's just look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So here are some of the reasons that we suffer. Suffering can enable us to be a witness for Christ. It can demonstrate the power of God. It can manifest the fruits of the Spirit. It can be to help others who suffer. It can, we can suffer because of others. We can suffer because of discipline. We can suffer to glorify the Lord. We can suffer to illustrate divine truth. We can suffer to learn obedience. We can suffer to produce humility and humbleness. All of these things are reasons for our sufferings. What we have to learn is that the Lord is sovereign. He's on the throne. He's in control. And he'll give us the grace to deal with whatever road he maps out for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Seeing we have this ministry, verse 1, we have received mercy, we faint not. Now, why would he say we faint not? Because he's had lots of trials, lots of troubles, lots of suffering. But he said, we're not going to quit. The devil has blinded the minds of many unbelievers. This is what he says in verse 2. We have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. We don't walk in craftiness. We don't handle the Word of God deceitfully, making it say what it doesn't say and telling people exactly what they want to hear. But by the manifestation of the truth, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. If our gospel is hid, it's hid to those that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which do not believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. He says we have not only the depravity of man to deal with, but we have the blindness by the devil to deal with. He says, the Lord has shined in our hearts. The next verse, he says, the Lord, verse 6, we commanded, the God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts. He has given us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But he says, we have this, uh, this treasure in an earthen vessel, and this word, the earthen, means a, a clay pot. It suggests frailty. We are frail. And now he's going to give us a list of things. And the first thing he mentioned will show the flesh and the frailty of it. And the second thing will show the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he says in verse 8. He says, we are troubled on every side. Okay? We're troubled. We're pressed down as grapes. That's the word, flebo. On every side means in every respect, but he says, yet we are not distressed. Why? We are not down, we're down, but we're not out. How is that? That's the power of God. Look at verse 7 for just a moment. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. That is, this being able to go through these trials and troubles shows the power of God in us, by us, and through us. Then he says, we're troubled on every side, that's the flesh, but we're not distressed, that's the power of the Spirit. 
We are perplexed. That's the flesh. That's the trouble. But we are not in despair. We're sometimes in doubt. We don't know where to turn. But we are never without hope. Then in verse 9, he says, We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We have hostile treatment by many enemies, but we have a true friend. And our true friend is the Lord Jesus Christ. A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. He's not promised to spare us from trouble, but he has promised to go with us through it. Verse 9, we are cast down, but we are not destroyed. This comes from language that means we're chased as an animal that's hunted, badly hurt at times, but never put out of the way entirely. Verse 10, always, he says, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Literally, Paul sees himself as a living corpse. He regards his body as a corpse, which nevertheless shared in the life-giving power of the resurrection of Christ. Verse 11, For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal body. The fact of a dying corpse-like body being sustained by the power of the resurrected Christ was a tremendous witness to the saints in Corinth. Verse 11, he says, These troubles are not accidental. These troubles are not accidental. We which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. He says that our sufferings are designed by the Lord to glorify himself and to strengthen our faith and for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says that the fact that we're sustained through this trouble and that we might be down and pushed back, but we continue shows the reality of the grace of God in us and coming through us. All things are yours, he says in verse 15. Everything is yours that God has for you. We do not faint, verse 16. Though our outward man perish, the inward man is renewed day by day. Though we are dying, yet we are being renewed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse 17, our light affliction, which is for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight. Now, notice he contrasts light affliction with the weight of glory. And here's what he's saying here. Suppose that you were ill like the man in John 5. Suppose you were ill for 38 years. 38 years. What is that? compared to eternity. It's nothing. If we were sick all of our lives, what would that mean compared to eternity with our Lord Jesus Christ? And what he's saying here, dear ones, and I wish I could say it this morning, he's saying keep looking to Christ, keep trusting in Christ, keep uh, walking with the Lord, and as you do day by day, he'll give you the grace to deal with whatever comes your way. 
And that's what he says, that's what he's saying to us, I think, about Joseph. Joseph was sold by his brothers, but he trusted the Lord. He was sold to the Ishmaelites, he trusted the Lord. The Ishmaelites sold him to Potiphar, he's trusting the Lord. Potiphar's wife comes after him, he's trusting the Lord. And what's going to happen to him? He's going to end up being the governor of Egypt through faith in the Lord and his word and his promise. I wish I could uh, exegete this a little better for you this morning, but it's probably too much information for you. Uh, I try to keep things straight and forward and simple, but when I delved into this, I at least wanted to list for you some of the reasons that we suffer. And at least I've been successful in doing that. Haven't done a good job of opening it up for you. But let me list again. The reason sometimes we suffer is to be a witness for Christ, is to demonstrate the power of God, is to manifest the fruits of the Spirit, is to help others who suffer. It is because of others who may have done something that caused our suffering, as in the case of Joseph. It might be for discipline. It, it is always to glorify the Lord. It might be to illustrate divine truth. It might be that we might learn obedience. It might be to produce humility and humbleness. It might be to exemplify and glorify our Lord and his power. So what I'm saying to you is whatever you're going through now, whatever you've gone through, whatever you might be going through, just look to Christ and walk with him and trust him and leave all of these other things in his sovereign hand. It'll be for your good. It'll be for his glory. May the Lord add his blessings to his word. We'll try to get back to old Joseph uh, in a more adequate way next, next week, God willing. Let's stand together for prayer. I hope that all of you have had a good week, and I hope that you'll be careful out there. There are still lots of people who are getting ill as a result of this coronavirus. Uh, we get their weekly reports here about what's going on in Williamson County. Some of you have been sick with that, uh, and you've recovered, and we're thankful for that. We haven't had anybody associated with this congregation uh, that has passed away as a result of it, that I know of. But all of us have friends and family and others who've been sick with it. Let's pray for them. Let's let them know that we love them. Let's let them know that the Lord's grace is sufficient. And perhaps the reason they're going through it is as a witness to other people, as I've tried to show you this morning. Let's sing and ask the Lord to keep us in Christ as we part under the blood of Jesus. Under the blood of Jesus Safe in the shepherd's fold Under the blood of Jesus Safe while the call upon you in the mighty matchless name of our Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us.
Father, we do not know the whys and wherefores of life. We know that you love us. We know that you've given your Son for us. We've given your Holy Spirit to guide us and to teach us and to correct us. I pray, Father, that you'll help us to trust you in every conceivable situation, that we might seek first the Lord and his glory. I pray, Father, that you will enable us to trust in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our great salvation. We plead the blood of Christ to cover us. We pray that the Spirit of Christ will lead us, and we pray that the glory of Christ will be our reason for living. Now I pray that you'll bless us as we part from this place today, and that you'll protect us this week, guiding us to do that which is according to your will. And we ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we ask it for his sake. Amen.